Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going we're gonna to be looking at that this morning. Uh, and it's been another week of uh, uncertainty around the world. Uh, a week is a long time in politics. According to Shelter... Uh, this week, the statistic was apparently in the UK, at least 320,000 people are now homeless in the UK, uh, and there are, will be an additional 36 homeless people every single day. Uh, the head of the British Army asked a question this week, and the question he was asking is, was, is Russia now a far greater threat to UK national security than Islamic State? Um, President Trump, amongst other things, um, announced that even if Crown Prince um, Mohammed bin Salman was behind the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, that the US intends to uh, maintain close links with the Saudis. While in uh, Yemen, Save the Children estimate that uh, over 85,000 children under the age of five have starved to death since uh, the troubles began there. And of course, as migrants crowd into dinghies to cross uh, the channel to Dover as panic sets in ahead of the Brexit deadline, um, what will the outcome of today's EU Brexit summit be? Um, they're just snippets of news literally just from this past week. And of course, as we know, that's, lit that's just the tip of the iceberg, but all of this, um, it, it makes for a real sense of uncertainty. It's unsettling, it, it creates um, anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty and worry and anxiety around. And, and the, the reality is that some of the places to which we would normally turn in difficult times um, for stability and for authority and for reassurance Things like um, the government, or the rule of law, or a free press, or the family, or, or whatever those sort of traditional institutions might be. All of those institutions and more, they were, they were always considered to be part of the bedrock of society. They themselves are now being challenged, and they're no longer held in the esteem with which they once were. And all of that can leave us feeling you know, just uncertain and vulnerable and anxious. And it's no less true for the church. As Tri Robinson, he was here a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, he was telling us and talking about how the church is going through her own stuff. As the church tries to work out how it is that we are to engage with this cultural moment in which we find ourselves, you know, how do we as the church respond to questions around things like uh, sexuality and gender dysphoria and justice and the environment and being the good news and what is discipleship and what does it mean and um, when things will begin to feel really uncertain and certainly unfamiliar uh, we can very easily begin to feel uh, a little bit lost disoriented I'm reading a book at the moment entitled A Field Guide to Getting Lost. A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And it actually celebrates the idea that not knowing entirely quite where we are can actually be a good thing. Uh, the author writes this. She says, when we experience significant change, we can often feel lost. And this lostness cuts two ways. 
On the one hand, we have lost something. You know, we've lost our old life. We've lost our old way of doing things. That, that we realize that just isn't cutting it anymore. But there's this sense of loss for what was. Uh, yet, at the same time, we're also lost because we are lost. We, we're, we're, we're clueless as to where we are. We're, we're beached, as it were. We're, we're without a compass that's suitable to navigate this new territory in which we find ourselves. It's an unfamiliar and uncertain space. And what she's saying is, either way, this, um, this season, this place that we find ourselves in is actually about a loss of control. We are no longer in control. And um, it's in these moments, these uh, transitional times, she calls them uh, liminal spaces, that what happens is we find ourselves struggling with the, with the loss of the tried and tested and familiar ways, but we're still not entirely sure or clear about what lies ahead and how we're going to move forward. Interestingly, she identifies that the etymology of the word lost is from the old Norse word los. Um which is exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, but, but the Old Norse word for loss uh, actually describes the disbanding of an army. So like at the end of a military campaign, the army gets disbanded and everyone goes home. Another use of it was um, the dismantling of a strategic formation. And what happens when we're lost, she argues, is that this the strategic part of our brain and our thinking and our approach to life, it it falters. And uh, our normal faculties, our normal competencies kind of don't really work anymore. You know, especially if you're anything like me, we typically wage war on life. For me, life is very much a battle. Every encounter is a battle to be one, to be engaged with. And um, life is actually about strategy and sort of setting goals and marching head high in formation into battle all the time. And uh, when we get lost in life, when we feel lost, when we find ourselves in these liminal spaces, these transitional times, um, our strategic mind, uh, our Controlling, planning, organizing, strategizing mind literally is, uh, is kind of forced to clear its desk and leave the room. Because what's required are new faculties, new ways of seeing. Um, uh, things like um, paying close atten- closer attention, things like intuition, things like listening. And uh, w- what happens with our strategic mind out of the uh, picture, we, we begin to feel really awkward and uncomfortable and uncertain because we feel like we're lacking the skills that we've always utilized and operated to move forward. So on the one hand, there's this really exciting opportunity because suddenly the horizon is opening up, but at the same time, the ground underneath our feet feels very uncertain. Um, and we know that we've got to somehow keep moving forward, but we don't really know, necessarily know how to do that anymore. And so uh, times of change, significant change, they're like a journey through a loss of control. And uh, for us as a society, for us as followers of Jesus, for us as a church, maybe we are in one of those transitional moments of change. 
You know, as we, as we struggle with the dissolution of the familiar and um, begin to open ourselves up to new potentials. And um, all of that feels really depressing. But at the same time, there's always this sense that somehow, somewhere, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, God is like up to something. Uh, and it's almost in the moments of shifting sands and, and uncertainty and vulnerability and, and weakness that God actually might be in the process of doing something like remarkable and actually taking the weak things to shame the strong and the foolish things to shame the wise. And in this sort of threshold moment, there's a very real sense where we all, and by all what I mean is like the church, it actually, in all of our weakness, and all of our fragility, and all of our uncertainty, and all of our vulnerability, that we might actually have a significant part to play in God's unfolding plan for humanity in the world in which we live. You know, which is quite a surprising thought, actually. You know, I think I've read that sort of somewhere, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Perhaps we find ourselves in a threshold moment. And um, in threshold moments, when we come to the end of our resources, when we come to the end of ourselves um, and we turn to God, uh, if we're honest, sometimes more in desperation than anything else, God has this habit of showing his glory. God has this habit of pouring out his Holy Spirit and God's power um, breaking in. Threshold moments, they can be defining moments. And uh, Kate and I, as we've been praying and thinking and, 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 and mulling and reflecting and just being and spending time in the Lord's presence, wonder if we as a church, if the church may be finding herself in one of these moments. This is a moment for us to turn to God in the midst of our weakness uh, and ask him to actually to give us and to gift us with the gift of faith. And so this morning what I want us to do um, is I want to look at the journey of faith and how we are to navigate some of these places that we find ourselves in and how we're to navigate um, through them, even if at times we feel utterly uh, lost. And I want to do that by taking a look at the Exodus narrative, uh, a little bit of how God led his people out of Egypt and into the uh, promised land through the wilderness, and, and how that uh, journey, and indeed the journey that we find ourselves on, individually and corporately as a body of believers, is actually simply one of faith. And how where we are in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in is actually not too dissimilar to the spaces and the places where God's people have found themselves throughout history uh, time and time and time again. So um, we're going to have to hurry. There's quite a lot in here. Uh, where better to start than Hebrews 11? So let's uh, dig up and dig out Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the writer of Hebrews opens up your very familiar chapter, I'm sure, to many of you. Uh, he, he writes, uh, the, the writer um, opens up the, the chapter defining faith for us. And in verse 1 it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And if we look around us, around where we live, around where we work, across London, in our communities, we should be asking ourselves, what is it that we see? What are we seeing? And perhaps more importantly, how are we seeing what we are seeing? And chances are, if we have our eyes open at all, We'll see all sorts of amazing things. We'll see all sorts of great things going on. But also, I think, one of the first things we often see 
when we're really looking, we're really paying attention, um, we see pain. We see a lot of pain. We see a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of poverty right under our nose. There are a lot of people suffering. There are a lot of people caught up uh, with and in addiction. And um, we can often, sometimes all too easily, see some of the hopelessness and the brokenness that is around us. That's, again, coming back to that sense of, of lostness. But faith is actually about seeing everything that's going on but looking at it all in, a, in an entirely different way. It's about seeing all of this stuff that's like right under our nose, but seeing it from God's perspective. It's about seeing God's future breaking in on us, sometimes in spite of how things appear. You know, and if you've read this book, that's why reading this book is so important, because it like tells us what's going on. It tells us what has happened. It tells us what is happening, and it tells us what will happen. And so if you've read to the end of the book, you know the end of the story, and you know that God is going to return, and that heaven and earth will become one. And you know that from that point on, there will be no more death. There will be no more grief. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. All things will be restored to how the God intended them to be right from the beginning. And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're living for. That's what we're looking forward to. That's, that's the story that we are in. And sometimes it's very easy to, for us to lose sight of where we are in that story. And faith is the ability to see that reality and to see the possibility of that reality, that future kingdom reality breaking in to the here and now. Faith is an assurance of what we do not see. And what the writer of Hebrews does is they go literally like through the whole, the entire story of the Old Testament. And they just like make one simple point, which hopefully you'll be able to see uh, from my beautiful PowerPoint presentation. Um, Verse 4, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab. There's also other bits in there, right? But that's basically the point that the writer is making. And the point that they're making is that everything happened, everything that happened, happened by faith. You see, these guys could see that God wanted to make all things new. And so they stepped into that story by faith. In exactly the same way that we are enter into that story by faith. And so the writer is told this literally epic story that the writer carries on in verse 32. And what more shall I say? What more shall I say? Like, I, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Note this. Whose weakness was turned to strength. Whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Do you see how this actually isn't like a list of the heroes of the faith? You know, and like men and women who are strong and confident in themselves. The writer's making the point that, no, 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 these guys, they were weak. They were weak. They were vulnerable. They were broken. They had their doubts. They were uncertain. They were unsure. 
But their weakness was turned to strength. They were ordinary people who got caught up in the extraordinary story of an extraordinary God. Goes on to verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Okay, let's hit the pause button there. You love, you love the honesty of this, the, the scriptures. You know, so often when we tell stories, you know, when I tell stories of what God is doing in my life, I, I feel like um, there's like an obligation just to give the sort of the edited highlights, you know, like the golden globey bits, like the good, the good bits, you just the success stories, just the, the breakthrough stories, you know, the, it all worked out okay in the end stories. And yes, it's amazing when all of that happens, and, and we want to celebrate it all. But the reality is, the truth of it, is that we know that we live in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God, yes, is here in part. And yet we await the arrival of the fullness of the kingdom of God when Christ Returns and as I was saying earlier, with Advent next week, Advent is a very is a is a is a celebration of that very thing. Advent um, is about um, celebrating and remembering the kingdom inaugurated with Jesus born in a stable, and we look through Advent and Jesus first coming through to his return and the kingdom fulfilled when Christ returns in glory. And Advent and the reason that we celebrate. Advent here is because Advent is kind of like a liturgical signpost. Advent is like a liturgical map that, um, that helps us orient ourselves. It's like, you know, when you walk into Richmond Park, there's like a map and it's like, you are here. And it's like all the other stuff is out there. Advent is a bit like, remember people, this is where you are. You are here. But this is What's ahead? This is what's going. And Advent reminds us that we are in a much, much bigger story. That yes, the kingdom has come, but the kingdom is also coming, and we are not to lose heart. Advent is a time whereby our hearts are stirred, and we are given hope and faith and confidence for what comes ahead because the reality is that between Christ's first coming and his return we find ourselves living in this liminal space this transitional space this space and time between the two senses if you like of the kingdom and so we celebrate breakthrough whenever it comes but we acknowledge that there is also pain and there is also still suffering and that there are prayers that haven't been answered and the writer of Hebrews is making that point that we experience both. Okay, uh, verse 39. This is basically an introduction. Um, verse 39. Are you hanging in there? Okay. Um, it's tough if you're not. Uh, th- verse 39. These were all commended but for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, we get to join in the story. He's talking about us in there, verse 39 and 40. 
And it's like God has been weaving and is weaving this incredibly beautifully redemptive tapestry. It's like he's on a mission to make all things new. And we get to participate in that story by faith, is what I'm trying to say. And it's not by human gifting. It's not by our own strength. It's not by confidence in ourselves. It's by putting our confidence and our hope in God. Okay? So literally, with that as a backdrop, I want to take a very quick look at the journey that the people of God go on from Egypt to the promised land. And the question I want us to consider is, how are we to navigate this journey of faith? Um, how are we to individually and corporately get through these seasons of wilderness? You know, having left Egypt behind, but still not yet having arrived at the promised land. Um, how do we do that? And there are three constants that I think uh, the people of God may have benefited from paying closer attention to um, if we look at this journey that the people of God undertook. And they're like three compass settings, if you like, that I think will help us navigate through when we feel like we've got no idea where we are. And they're only short, so bear with me. And they are basically faith in God's power, faith, uh, faith for God's power, faith for God's provision, and faith for God's presence. Uh, just to recap on the story, you'll be familiar with the story, but the people of God, um, they journey from Egypt, um, and uh, they have this, there's this amazing, miraculous moment as they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. The, the Red Sea like parts, and they walk through on dry land. Like, this is quite a big deal, okay? And you've all seen Prince of Egypt, and they're like whales and hippopotamuses, and they're all like floating around in the water. It's like amazing. And um, basically, after 400 years of generational slavery and oppression uh, under the Egyptians, they are finally free. It's like a moment. It's a real moment. Uh, and then they find themselves in the wilderness, and their journey of faith really begins. Look at this. Saturday night. Guess what I do on a Saturday night? <laughs> I just want to just take a moment. Just, 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 some quiet, just some silence. Just a, a moment of appreciation. I was mulling on the color. What do you think? I couldn't decide on the blue. Is the blue all right? I wasn't sure. I went red, and then I thought, oh, no, a little bit gory. Um, there's more to come, so just hold on. <laughs> so... Um, then you kind of fast forward they're kind of through this wilderness thing, and then there's this moment, there's another moment where, it's a major moment at Mount Sinai, where God enters this covenant relationship with his people, and he essentially gives them the Torah, gives them the Ten Commandments, which actually is a God's pathway to human flourishing. You know, it's God saying, look, here are the guidelines so that you can thrive. Not like law and oppression and like squash, squash, squash. Like, actually, do you know what? These, like, these will help you thrive and flourish. Uh, you know, and the first three are about safeguarding our relationship with God because if we're not safeguarding our relationship with God, everything else is going to fall apart. And then it's kind of like while we're on it, like if you want to thrive as a community, um, you know, maybe just don't kill each other. It just tends not to be very good for doing life together well. Oh, and while we're at it, like maybe don't sleep with each other's husbands and wives. Again, not great for community. Uh, and while we're at it, like lying, not so good either. Stealing from people, don't do that. And, and, and maybe just try and get like a really good rest, like once a week. Guidelines for human flourishing, because God wants His people to live in and under his blessing. And so anyway, they, they continue the journey. God provides manna, heaven's bread, uh, to sustain them on their adventure. Uh, and then 
eventually the, ha- the baton's handed on to Joshua and they enter the promised land where they can uh, prosper. That's basically the story. What's interesting is if you read Matthew's account of the life of Jesus very quickly um, and very beautifully, look at that. There was, a, there, was a, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of change. There was much more change than you... <laughs> Seriously, it's all about me. Uh, if you read Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, he, Matthew structures his account around this same narrative. Um, just to make it clear, we read about the story of the birth of Jesus. Herod wants to kill the baby because he's threatened by the king of the Jews. And so Mary and Joseph do what? They take the baby into hiding. And when it's safe to return, Matthew chapter 2, what do they do? They bring Jesus out of Egypt. Okay? In chapter 3 of Matthew, what happens with Jesus? He's baptized. He passes through the waters of baptism. In chapter 4 of Matthew, what happens? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He gets to spend 40 days. He's spent 40 years. Uh, anyone who's listening to the story and who's reading Matthew and is a, they're aware of the Exodus narrative, they're going, hold on, hold on, something's going on here. <gasps> I've heard this before. This is and it's like deja vu. You know, came out of Egypt through the waters of baptism into the wilderness. Ah, yes. This is part of a bigger narrative. This is part of a bigger story. Something's going on here. And then you turn over the page to chapter 5 of Matthew. And what does Jesus do? He goes up the mountain. And he gives them the Sermon on the Mount, Moses' law. And it's a new pathway to God's blessing. And it's mirroring kind of um, uh, Moses ascending Mount Sinai. Why? Because Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the second Moses. He's leading a second exodus. So Jesus goes up the mountain and he gives them these commandments, this new pathway to human flourishing. And uh, it's, uh, notice the language, it's, it's, um, if the Torah is like a pathway to blessing, Jesus is saying, well, actually, do you know what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. There's this new pathway. And it's not just um, Torah obedience anymore. It's actually relationship with Jesus, the lawgiver. Relationship with him, that's what leads us to fullness of life. And then if you keep reading, Matthew, you get to chapter 14. You know, uh, the disciples steal some kids' lunch and they feed 5,000 men. So there's probably like 15,000 people at that picnic. And uh, they're getting supernatural bread from heaven. And Matthew's trying to make the point that Jesus is leading us towards this new creation. He's leading us to the promised land. And that new creation is birthed in the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the story that we're in. God is making all things new. So how do we participate in the story even when everything around us feels like it's crumbling and falling apart? Well, we do it by faith. Um, by seeing ourselves and our cultural moment as being part of the, these, these self-same narratives of Egypt and from the life of Jesus, of redemption. These are redemption, salvation narratives, and we are in those stories. And we're doing that through faith for God's power, faith for God's provision, and faith for God's presence. Faith for God's power, quickly. Um, this is, this is all about trusting in God's power to actually deliver what God has promised. And um, it's about us, Psalm 27 again, that, that believing that we will actually get to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, even if it doesn't feel that way. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that most of us, we believe that God is all-powerful, and yet at the same time, um, there are moments, and sometimes there are long moments, 
when we're not quite so sure. Just look at the Israelites. I mean, it's just classic. The Israelites, they'd just seen God's power demonstrated in the most, like, incredible way. They, just before they're led through the Red Sea, don't forget, there were the plagues of Egypt, right? So there's like these massive demonstrations of God's power and their oppressors who've been oppressing them for hundreds of years, literally being squashed and vanquished. And you get that right through to the parting of the Red Sea. And all of that's happened, and they've seen all of that happen. They literally just chomped through the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. And they're in the wilderness like five minutes, and they're going, oh, I don't think God's up to this task. I don't know. Like, there's no water, there's no food. They're grumbling, they're complaining, and they're like, let's go back to Egypt. You know, there's no food, there's no water. Literally, the moment something goes wrong, they completely forget about God's power. They completely forget about God's demonstration of how much he's on their side through his miraculous intervention. And we're reading it, and we're like, what's wrong with you? Didn't you just see, like, the ten plagues? Were you not there? You know, you want power. You know, you're saying that God is not powerful enough to, like, provide a snack in the wilderness. He literally just blotted out the sun. Like, what's not to be impressed by? But the reality is we're we're exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. I see God's breakthrough and freedom in my life. And we could all testify to the times where we have seen God's power at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And yet... um, even though we've experienced that and seen it, there are moments and times where we're just like, do you know what, I'm just not sure if he can do it anymore. I'm just not sure if he's going to do it anymore. It feels like he's not doing it anymore. It feels like he can't. Certainly not for me. Maybe for other people, but not for me. Is he really powerful enough? Can he really deal with this? Is God actually powerful enough? Well, this morning really is just in part an encouragement to us all to remember and to have faith. To remember and to have faith. To remember what God has done. And to have faith that he will do it again. Theologian N.T. Wright says there are actually two journeys in the Exodus. Uh, The first is the journey out of slavery, and the second is the journey out of the mindset of slavery. The first is the journey of getting out of Egypt, and the second is the journey of getting Egypt out of them. And the reality is, the first journey can actually happen really quickly. Um, Freedom can happen fast. It can happen in a moment. But the journey to walk it out, that can easily take 40 years. Uh, In the midst of uncertainty, of all that's going on. We need to be a people who live in the story of God. And when we live in this story and have faith in God's power, we, we, we think bigger, we dream bigger, we hope bigger, our hearts are fuller, we risk bigger, we dare bigger. We begin to realize that, do you know what? Actually, if God is for me, who, who can be against me? Huh. Yeah, bring it on. So when we're feeling lost, we're to have faith for God's power. Second thing, we're to be a people who have faith for God's provision. Um, Hebrews 11, 11. How, how does God lead his people from Egypt into the promised land? Um, uh, 
the answer is he provides for them. He provides for them. He gives them fresh bread from heaven. He gives them manna and quail. And it sustains them on their journey. And we're all a bundle of needs. Like, we need, like, a lot. And so being provided for is important for us. You know, we wake up every morning and literally we are there with a whole host of needs right there in that moment. We have physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs and sexual needs and financial needs and relational needs. And it's just, we've only been awake for three minutes. We've got so many different needs and desires, and they're all at work in us all the time. And the big question in terms of provision is, where are we taking those needs? What are we we doing with those needs? Who are we taking them to? Where do we think provision for that need is going to get met? Where do we think those things are going to get satisfied? Where do we think fulfillment is going to come? Where will provision come from? for us in our need. Augustine famously said, God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And he found that when he took his need, those needs, those deep desires, to the wrong places, what he found is he experienced restlessness and anxiety and frustration. And when he took those same things to God, to the God who made him, he found peace and rest. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something similar. He said, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. When we are taking questions of identity and purpose and belonging to the wrong places, you know, thinking that success at work is going to fulfill you or that marriage is maybe going to define you or bring, in, bring you life or whatever it may be. When we're taking those questions to the wrong places, we are going to get our hearts broken. And this is why Jesus taught his followers to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Father, give us this day our daily bread. All these needs within us, give us today what we need today. Manna and quail bread from heaven in the moment, fresh for today. And we bring all of those needs and all of those desires to you. Will you, God, be the one who satisfies the desires of my, my heart? We, we bring them to you. I choose to bring them to you, not to, um, not to work, not to an addiction. I choose to bring those needs to you. Will you be our provider, God? Will you give us faith for your provision? And, and having faith for God's provision is literally like another compass uh, point and reference for where we are on the journey. And it enables us to get where it is that we're going. Um, like having faith and confidence in God's power, we need to have faith and confidence in God's provision. And this morning, it's, it's, worth, it's worth us taking some time to ask the uncomfortable question of where are we taking our need right now? Where are we taking our need? Who are we turning to? What are we turning to? And is our heart breaking because of it? You know, what would happen if you took those needs to Jesus? 
Maybe you'd experience peace for the first time, maybe. Maybe you'd experience fullness of life. Uh, faith in God's power, faith for God's provision. Finally, um, we need to be a people with faith for God's presence. Um, Hebrews 11, verse 16. Again, how do the people of God get from, the, from Egypt to the promised land? Uh, well, the answer is uh, there's a cloud by day and there's a, a pillar of fire by night that guides them on their journey. And it's interesting, you know, God doesn't give them a map and he doesn't say, okay, Moses, you see that arrow, right? Um, that's uh, where you are. Canaan's like over there. This is like Duke of Edinburgh gold on acid and um, I'll see you when you get there, if you make it. I'm checking into the Canaan Four Seasons and I'll see you later. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. God says, uh, I will show myself to you by a cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. And these will be signs of my presence with you. And what God is saying is just keep really close to the signs of my presence and my presence will lead you towards fullness and towards the promised land. You know what happens when you're given a map, or certainly when you're given a sat-nav. You know, when you're given a map, your, your, your head is down. When you're given a sat-nav, your brain is like switched off. Um, anything can happen to you, like it did to the three Japanese students who drove the car into the sea in Australia because the sat-nav said it would be fine. It wasn't. Um, when you have a guide instead of a map, what happens is you keep, you keep your head up. because You don't need to be looking down all the time. You keep looking around you. You keep following your guide. You follow your guide wherever it leads. And Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so for us, daily, moment by moment, we are to be asking, Father, what is it that you are doing? Where are you moving today? Where are you leading me today? Show me today, now, in this moment, what you are doing. Where is the cloud of your presence today? Where is the pillar of fire of your presence this evening, we are to keep close to the presence of God. And if we keep close to the presence of God, again, that's why I love that Psalm 27. One thing I ask, one thing I desire, that I would just dwell in the house of the Lord. It's about being in God's presence. Just to gaze upon your beauty. To inquire of you in your temple. Just to be in your presence. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. It's been a thousand days elsewhere. Just want to be in God's presence because whenever we get into God's presence, they're like the best times, whether that's through silence or solitude or stillness or the scriptures or being together in worship, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. It's just these things are important because it's about his presence. It's being in his presence and it's being in his presence that brings us peace. It's in his presence that we find rest. It's in his presence that we find fullness of joy. It's in his presence that those insecurities and the worries that we have because of reading the newspaper and watching the news and looking at what's going on around us and sending us all into a flat spin because we're unsure where we are. It's in his presence that all of that suddenly starts to settle. Peace and confidence not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in him and, and in the story that he is writing, that begins to emerge. And life comes back to us. 
So spend as much time in God's presence as you possibly can. And um, on this journey of faith, with all its uncertainties and twists and turns and uh, excitements and disappointments and encounters and frustrations, just spend as much time in the presence of Jesus. How are we going to speak to um, the fears and worries of a generation who are just facing so much um, uncertainty and upheaval? You know, the answer isn't actually in like um, better programs and more groups and more staff and more leaders and more great ideas. I mean, those things are important. Um, the way that we're actually going to be the change um, and affect change and speak into this cultural moment, the way we're going to navigate through this uncertain season, is through this liminal space, um, is through a move of the Spirit of God. That's what we need. We need a move of the Spirit of God. We need a move of the Spirit of God leading us out of Egypt through this wilderness in which we find ourselves and into his promised land. And yes, we're weak. Yes, we're vulnerable. Yes, we're struggling. Yes, we're uncertain. But our prayer and the cry of our heart is, God, will you come and will you move in power? Our prayer is, God, will you come and will you provide for us in the midst of our uncertainty and our lack? And our prayer, most of all, is, God, will you lead us by your presence? We need to be a people who are led, individually and corporately, by the presence of the living God. For if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from this place. For how else will anyone be able to distinguish us from any other people on the planet, but for his presence. Okay? So, power, provision, presence. Why don't you stand? Thank you for your patience.